Today's scripture reading is James 4, 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that is no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell with us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, Yeah, you can stick it in there. Thank you, Zeke, for doing that scripture reading. Good morning, church. I think I say this every time I get up here, but it's, it's good to see you, and it's good to be with you and to worship together with you. And hello to those who are joining us online as well. Um, my name is Ben. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, I would love to meet you sometime. I'm, I'm, one of the, I'm the pastoral resident here at the Aletha campus, and if you don't know about the pastoral residency, it's a really, really awesome program that our church has, and uh, your generosity supports that. And I'd love to tell you more about that uh, um, if, if uh, we have a chance to talk. So, um, as, we, uh, as we begin to open up the scriptures together, let's, let's pray together. Father, please give me the ability to preach your word this morning, and let us then hear your voice and obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been said that a person's favorite word is their own name. And we love to hear our own names. And I think that's because of what Dr. Kurt Thompson told us recently, that we all want to feel seen. We all want to be valued as someone that is worth knowing and acknowledging, and we all want to be, to be validated as having dignity. And this is a deep desire that we all have, and I think it's, that's why it's said that our favorite word is our own name. And that makes me wonder, what, what is our least favorite word? And for some strange reason, I don't know if I'll ever be able to understand, it seems like for a lot of people, that word is the word moist. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe some of you just cringed when I said that. Um, but, but whatever, I don't, I don't get it, that's, that's okay. Because I think that there's actually another word that we dislike even more. A word that often makes us feel like we aren't valued. A word that means that we can't have what we want. I think everyone's least favorite word is no. Because just think about it. No is one of the words that little kids hear the most growing up. Usually when they're told that they can't have or do what they want to do. So no cookies for dinner. No jumping on the bed. No sticking a fork in the outlet. Okay, you can't have it, no, no having fun. And it's a word that we continue to hear throughout our lives. And when there's something we want, we can't stand being told no. 
So you can do just about anything you want as long as you don't say no to what I want. And here's the thing. I may not even know what it is that I want, but you better not tell me no. And the reason why we dislike being told no is because we want what we want, and we want to have it our way. And yet sometimes what we want can hurt us. But it can also hurt not just us, but it can hurt our relationships with others. And it can also hurt our relationship with God. And so what do we do with what we want? And what should we want? Well, that's what we're going to explore today as we turn to the book of James. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up with me to turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And as you open up to James chapter 4, I just want to remind us that we are currently in a series in the book of James that we have entitled Real Faith. And by real faith, what we mean is the kind of faith that produces the way of life that a follower of Jesus must have. And perhaps the most prominent theme in the book of James is that of completeness. James uses that word over and over and over. And what what he means is that as followers of Jesus, we are to not only follow Jesus in some areas of our life, but we are to follow him in every area of our life. And Jesus is not just Lord over what we believe, he's also Lord over what we do. But he's not just Lord over what we do, he's also Lord over what we say. And so one of the reasons why James wrote this letter And one of the reasons why we need this letter today is because we tend to naturally divide and compartmentalize our lives in ways that are inconsistent with life, with with our faith in Jesus and with following Jesus. And so that's to say that in one area of our life, we might be following Jesus, but in another area, we're not following Jesus. And James would say that if one of you is over here, if part of you is over here and the other part of you is over here, then you're living a divided life and you're not whole, you're not complete. You don't have complete or whole faith. And so today we're gonna consider what it means to have real or complete faith in regards to what we want. And if we're gonna have complete faith, we have to make a decision about what we want. And here's what we'll see. Real faith only wants what God wants. Real faith only wants what God wants. So here's where we're going in the sermon. I'm going to point out two areas in the text where we have to choose what we want. And then we're going to see two ways that we can move towards wanting what God wants. So here's the first area where we need to choose what we want. We can have our way or we can have peace. We can have our way, or we can have peace. Now, when you hear that we can have our way or peace, you may at first be confused. You might be thinking something like, what do you mean? I don't want to cause any trouble. And so there's no contradiction between having things my way and having peace, is there? And yeah, on the one hand, there may not be. Because the choice between having things your way and having peace is not necessarily an absolute one. And yet, 
I want us to ponder for ourselves the question that James asks in James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, if we just pause right there and consider the question as it stands, I wonder how we would answer. When you are in an argument with someone, what causes that? Speaking for myself in my less than flattering moments, I think I might say something like, yeah, it's, it's obvious what the right thing is here. The other person's just being difficult or stubborn or they're too dumb to understand what the right thing is here. And if they don't agree with me and what I want, then they're going to ruin it. And it leads, to, it leads to quarrels and fights. Well, James answers this question with a rhetorical question. And he says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You see, the problem here is that we think that if they get their way, then I won't get my way. And James says that this matter of fighting amongst ourselves is caused by what we want. Now, our passions are something that we want so badly that we become zealous for them. But when our passions are in conflict with another person's passions, that's when quarreling and fighting comes. So James continues in verse 2 and says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And this is the way it's always been. Even our first parents, when they were in the garden, they saw the fruit and they desired to have their way more than they desired God's way. And so they took the fruit against God's command. And because they wanted their way and followed their own way, it didn't just create distance between them and God, it also created distance between each other. Because they wanted their way, the peace was broken. And it didn't go any better with their kids either. So remember, remember the story of Cain and Abel? God looked with favor upon Abel's offering, and it caused his brother Cain to be filled with jealousy because he wanted what Abel had. And so he murdered his brother. And down it has gone through the generations to James's day into ours. Now, we don't know if the people James wrote to were actually literally murdering each other. Um, It's possible that James isn't being literal, but he's, he's instead making a strong point about the level of animosity that they had towards one another, which was fueled by their passions. And whatever, whatever level it escalated to and whatever it was that they were arguing over, we know that it was really bad. And this is the way it always goes. When we want something, we climb all over each other to get, to get it. And we hurt each other in the process. And in doing so, we alienate ourselves further from God and from one another. When we insist on choosing our way, we do it at the expense of peace. Now, even as I say that, I can't help but wonder if some of us might be thinking, 
okay, I understand what you're saying, but sometimes some people are just gonna disagree no matter how righteous your cause is. And I know, I know I'm right about this. And so surely we're not just supposed to do the wrong thing for the sake of getting along, are we? And here's what I think this text says to us. When disagreement is unavoidable, we must still disagree with gentleness and with meekness. James 3.13 says that meekness is how wisdom is seen. So you may very well be right about this, but no ridicule or mocking or insults. No treating with disdain those who don't have as much intellectual or moral clarity on the issue as you do. And if you do that, the Bible would say that you're not wise, but foolish and ungodly, no matter how right you are, no matter how much you know, or no matter how articulate you are for your position. You see, the true mark of being wise and Christ-like, according to James, is not how much clarity we have on the subject, but in how our wisdom shows itself in meekness, in reasonableness, in peace and gentleness and mercy, and in willingness to let go of what we selfishly want. Because we need to choose what we want. We can have our way or we can have peace. But real faith only wants what God wants. So while this, this is the first area that we've seen, this is, this is about, more about our horizontal relationships with one another. But the second area is more about our vertical relationship with God. And the second area that we need to choose what we want is this. We can be friends with the world or friends with God. We can be friends with the world or friends with God. See what James 4.4 4 says. You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, James tends to present things in very stark terms. And here he's telling us that we need to choose between the world and God. And now to be clear, the world in this text doesn't refer to every secular thing outside of the church or your family or your Christian bubble. Rather, the world refers to any, any ungodly thinking or way of life, no matter where you may find it. And James is calling his readers out because they're trying to live on both sides of the fence. But again, if we are living on the world's side if part of us is living on the world side and another part of us is trying to live on God's side, we're not, we're not whole. We're living a disintegrated life and we're being pulled in separate directions. And so long as part of us is living as a friend of the world, we can't be whole or complete. And again, James is saying we need to choose what we want. But he also warns us that we need to be careful about the reason why we want what we want. And so, starting at the end of verse 2, chapter 4, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
Now, did you catch that? Even your prayer life can be an expression of selfish ambition. What James is getting at here is not what they're asking for, but what is behind what they are asking for. It's not always what we want that's the problem. Often it's why we want it that's the problem. You see, we have real spiritual enemies, and this is how they work. They take something good, and they add a little disorder to it. They take a good desire, and they distort it just a little bit so it becomes bad. So you take a, take a desire for something good and throw out moderation so it becomes something bad. Or take something that is good in one context and redirect it subtly towards, uh, towards another object. And now in this new context, in, in a, towards a different object, it's bad. Or take something good we want and obtain it at the expense and to the neglect and harm of others. And it's not good. Our spiritual enemies are like judo masters who take our own good desires and they, they redirect them and they twist them just enough so that what we think is good is being used for evil. And it can be so subtle that we often miss it. So I may say that I want to be wealthy so I can be generous, but really I just want a life of comfort. Or we may not let others into the messiness and needs of our lives because we don't, we, don't, we don't want to burden anybody. But could it really be that our pride is getting the better of us? Or we may scold our kids and be harsh and unkind to them because we don't want to, make a, we don't want to bother anybody or make a public disturbance. But could it be that what we, what we really want is to be seen as having a perfect family? We may speak out against certain acts of evil that we perceive in the world out of a sense of righteousness. But could it be that what is filling us might be, might be bitterness and jealousy of someone else for getting what they want while we didn't get what we wanted? Or maybe it's not that, but we're letting anger over a righteous cause boil over and become and manifest itself in unrighteous anger. It says in Ephesians that we are to be angry, but not sin. Or maybe we ask God for wisdom so that we can lead well in the home or at work and be a great Christian example and serve others better. But could it be that what we're really after is to gain a higher sense of status and authority over others? But again, we might think, well, why, why, can't, we just, why can't we have both? What's wrong with being friends with multiple people, so to speak? And the answer is because these two things are in direct opposition to each other. There's no both option. It's either or. And James says that the world's way is directly opposed to God's way. And even though we might want to say to God, it's okay, God, don't worry, we're just friends, it's not okay. It's spiritual adultery. And he calls out his readers, saying that the ways that they are following their desires for the world makes them like an adulteress who follows her own selfish passions and forsakes the vow she made to her husband who loves her so she can go after someone else. 
And to be clear, James is using adultery as a metaphor for any number of ways that we might turn from following God to choose something else. And we, when we choose to side with God's enemy, we make ourselves his enemy too. And so whatever it is that we want, this text calls us to consider whether that desire comes from the world or from God. And then to make a choice. We can be friends with the world or friends with God, but we can't have both. James is calling us to stop living lives that are divided between two things and to live more whole, integral lives. Because real faith only wants what God wants. So how can we move towards wanting what God wants? Let me point out two ways from the text. And the first is that we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves. God wants us to only want what he wants. So, see what it says in verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And verse 10 also says that we are to humble ourselves before the Lord. So if we are to only want what God wants, we need to acknowledge that what we want is not always right. And that's humbling. It's hard to admit that someone else's way is better than ours. And humility is what happens when we truly and we honestly see ourselves the way we really are. It's when we face our bitterness and our selfish ambition or our jealousy over what others have and our disordered desires. Humility is what happens when we realize how we have chosen our way instead of peace and how we've chosen friendship with the world instead of friendship with God. It's difficult to be humble. It's difficult to humble ourselves. And that's why it's so hard for us to be told no and to let go of our way because our pride refuses to believe that there there may be something better than what we want. And so we can only receive this if we receive it humbly. Only when we humble ourselves can we begin to properly reorder our desires and what we want. So if my, if my car is out of alignment, or if it is bent and pulling sharply to the left or the right, the problem can only be fixed by straightening out what is bent or twisted and putting what is misaligned back into alignment so that it drives true. And likewise, our desires might be good, but they need to also be directed towards the right ends. We may still want many things, but when we, we, we properly order our desires, when we submit them to God's authority, and when we do that, we, we replace our own selfish wants with the nearness and the grace of God. God gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves and draw near to God, this text says, God will draw near to us. And that leads us to the second way that we must move towards what wanting what God wants. Because in order to draw near to God, we must turn away from something else. We must turn away from something else. 
See, while we are often jealous for what does not, what does not rightly belong to us, God is jealous for what he wants that does rightly belong to him. And according to verse 5, that's the spirit he put in us. God wants us to turn away from whatever else is the object of our desires so that we can draw near to him. See what it says in verses 8 and 9. Come near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I know this isn't the most cheerful passage uh, we've ever read, but James is showing us the way back to God. In humbling us, he's showing us that to turn to God, we need to turn from something else. Because as James says, we're often double-minded people. Part of us wants to follow Jesus, but the other part of us wants to be friends with the world. But James says the way to wholeness and healing, the way to an integral life in this world is to turn away from something else. To reunite that part of us that wanted something else to the part of us that wants what God wants. To be single-minded instead of double-minded. And so James uses the language of lament. Rather than trivially shrugging it off or laughing it off, James says that we need to mourn and weep. It's kind of depressing, I know. But this isn't just to feel bad for ourselves or to be depressed for depression's sake. This is, the, the point of this is that lament is a way of getting what we want in line with what God wants. It's a way of adopting God's view and God's perspective on the situation, on our brokenness, so that we can be made whole. And it begins to develop within us a distaste for certain things so we will turn away from them. And it begins to reshape our wants and it begins to develop a taste in us for what God wants. And so I don't know exactly what it is that each of us may individually need to turn from. It's probably not the same for all of us. But as we humble ourselves and turn to God, He'll give us grace. And as we lament the ways we have turned to other things, God will work in our lives and reshape our desires around what he desires. As verse 10 says, when we come to the Lord like this, he he will exalt us. That is, if we come to God in our lowliness, he will lift us up. And that gives us great hope. That gives great hope to those of us who recognize that we are wanting the wrong things. And it's a hope that comes as we make these choices. Do we want to have our way? Or do we want peace? Do we want to be friends with the world? Or friends with God? Because real faith only wants what God wants. So let's humble ourselves and let's turn away from what we need to turn away from and receive grace from the God who is jealous 
and eager to receive us back. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for the grace to humble ourselves and turn to you. Help us to do so. Thank you that you are ready to receive all the needy who come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, even the-